Kelly's away, uh, taking care of some business in Oregon um, with the sale of Robin's mother's home. And so we pray safe travels for him while he's gone. And so I'm on double duty or whatever this is today. Um, If you know me very well, you know that I'm a sucker for kind of schmaltzy Frank Sinatra style music. So old big band stuff. There's a song. That starts, uh, in olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking. Now heaven knows anything goes. Um, And authors, too, who once knew better words, now only know four-letter words, writing prose. Anything goes, the world has gone mad today, and good's bad today, and black's white today, and day's night today. Most guys, and it goes on. I bet you've never heard a sermon start this way before. (laughs) Anything goes, right? Right? The $5 word for that is libertinism when, or license or licentiousness where we've tossed out our moral compass, we've made all ethics kind of relative and we're just adrift and if you want to do it, you can and it's okay. We're in a society that's struggling with this, right? Trying to navigate and so if you have this happening, then What are your options? What's your solution? Well, you can clamp down with a bunch of rules, right? So you say, well, if they're struggling with this sin, then we make this rule. And if it's a little bit loose over here, then we tighten it up over here and you press it down, right? Because that'll fix it. Uh, There's a couple couple words for that law-drivenness. One is legalism, right? So legalism is where if I just obey enough rules well enough, then I'll work myself into heaven or I'll please God and earn his favor, okay? I can escape damnation that way or I can earn God's favor that way by doing everything right. And we all know, yeah, that's not going to happen, right? It's not how it works. That's right, man. There's another kind of law-drivenness that we don't talk about as much called gnomism with an N, not a G. It's not about little people with sharp hats. Gnomism, and, and, uh, and actually, um, Ed, you mentioned, you touched on this a bit. Gnomism is out of gratitude for what God has done for me, I seek to live a life, to use Paul's language, worthy, worthy of the calling, Right? So my ethics improve, my behavior improves, I pay attention to some guidelines, some rules. Gnomism by itself isn't a bad thing, right? Out of gratitude, so gratitude now becomes the the motivation, I try to live a good life, okay? What's the problem with it? There's... And, and I can give you a very specific instance of this recently in my life. Uh, Wednesday, this past Wednesday, was our 15th wedding anniversary. So because I had messed up my schedule, of course, we went out Thursday night for dinner. And we went to this little place in Langdon where everything's done by this chef. And he came out and, and talked to us for quite a while afterwards and was very kind. And, um, 
I felt gratitude for his kindness. And then he gave me the bill. And in fact, he knocked some stuff off the bill. He said, you know, it's your 15th wedding anniversary. You've let me talk to you for so long. So here, uh, I'm, the dessert's on me. So he showed me the price, and then he gave me the machine, you know, where you swipe your card. And the price on the machine was even less than the price on the bill where he'd already knocked off the price of dessert. So gratitude is growing in me, you know, like flowers at this point. I'm very grateful. Uh, But without thinking, I've just punched in the percentage of tip amount that I usually punch in. And then I, you know, said okay and gave the thing back to him. And after that, I thought, I I shouldn't have done that. I should have given him a bit more because I was grateful. My gratitude turned into a sense of guilt because I didn't pay him back enough. Okay? That's a very kind of mundane example. But the same thing happens to us in our Christian life sometimes. I remember a whole lot of talks about the cross that didn't generate deep feelings of gratitude in me for what God had done. It generated a lot of sense of guilt that I needed to somehow try to repay God for what he'd done on the cross. The more I read, the less I think that's what God was after. Um, You know, in John, I've mentioned this recently. In John 3.16, famous, most famous verse in the Bible, for God, what? Okay, stop. Just say the next word. For God, okay, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What does the so mean? Trick question, be careful. That's what I thought too. Really, 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 really much. He loved us so much that he gave the world. But it doesn't. It means what, Miles? It means like this. It's just because we have the old King James memorized. For God loved the world like this. This is what it looked like. He gave us his son. You want to know what his love for us looks like? It looks like this cross. That's the thing that's supposed to engender in us an awareness of our great worth to God. Not guilt. Right? So if the guilt that I feel is leading me to a sense of I need to do more to repay the guilt, that's, that's gnomism gone wrong. Okay, so that was a really long introduction to get us to our text. We're talking about Galatians chapter 2 today. We're going to look at uh, from verse 11 to 21. So, Kelly led us off with uh, Galatians the last couple weeks. And what's happening in, in the beginning of Galatians... Let me get to my spot here. What's happening in the beginning of Galatians is Paul is defending his status as an apostle, right? He's saying, you may not know me, or you may think that I'm twisting things, or you may not think that I have the status of the 12, but God is the one who set me up to do this, and with boldness and humility, I'm going to do what he's called me to do. And the third, so he has kind of three things that he defends himself, three accusations, but the third one, he gets into this quarrel with Peter. Do you remember this? Okay, so this is where Peter has come to Antioch, or Paul is telling the Galatians about a time that Peter came to Antioch and flaked out, basically. The, the Jewish believers came to Antioch as well, and Peter, kind of out of fear 
of what they might think started, that's a good ringtone, I like that ringtone, Um, started rejecting fellowship with the Gentiles and was hanging out with the Jewish believers and it started to create a split in the church because the, the Jewish believers who were native to Antioch were also starting to kind of follow Peter over. So it was creating this deep division in the church. And Paul blasts him. His language is not gentle. I mean, to the point that if you go through and read the commentaries, for 2,000 years, people have been wrestling with what to do with the depth of Paul's kind of um, harsh language. Like, is that really appropriate for one apostle to talk that way to another apostle? What do we do with the, the gentleness of Jesus in this? But it's because what was happening through Peter was touching at the very core of the nature of the gospel for Paul. And he wanted to make sure things didn't go sideways at that point. Okay, so let's, let's take a journey through Acts. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Because we need to take a look at Peter a little bit. Actually, go back further than that. If you were to go to the end of Luke, you don't have to open to this. Just remember this story. When Peter is, um, when Jesus is, is out in the garden and kind of submits to the authorities and then he's taken off to be questioned... And Peter follows along kind of quietly to the courtyard and there's a fire out there and someone recognizes Peter. What happens? He denies Jesus three times, right? Um, Because he's afraid of what the other people will think about him. In fact, he takes an oath and swears. And in Luke's gospel, in in, uh, Luke 22, then that's when the, the rooster crows and Jesus looks at Peter. Uh, Then you have in John... When Peter is reinstated, and there's three reinstatements that match up, you know, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Um, so Peter has this history of, of kind of flaking at critical points. But in Acts 10, what happens? Miles was here for the first sermon. He knows the outcomes. What happened in Acts chapter 10? If you have a heading in your Bible, what's the heading say? Beginning of Acts chapter 10. Yeah, Cornelius calls for Peter. Mine has Peter and Cornelius. It's the time when when Peter is hanging out at Simon the Tanner's house, right? And then the Holy Spirit shows up at Cornelius' house. And Peter goes, do you know what a tanner, what's a tanner do? All you hunters. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you... Somebody said it over here. Did you say that? He tans hides. Yeah, he deals with leather work, right? Turns, turns, uh, takes the skins into rawhide and then turns them into tanners. Any problems with that for the Jewish community? If you had that occupation, you're, you've got your hands elbow deep in dead bodies all the time, which meant you were ritually unclean all the time. Peter's already hanging out at, Simon the Tanner's house. So he's already got one foot into this world of kind of stepping outside of the very strict law, right? Then the Spirit shows up at Cornelius' house. Peter's called there. Uh, Oh, before that, what happens? Then Peter has this vision and God tells him what? Nothing's Nothing's unclean. Yeah, Peter, you know, if they serve you bacon, eat it, right? Uh, Lobster, you can eat it. Those are off limits, by the way. Rabbit, also off limits. So, Go eat with the Gentiles. Don't worry about it. So Peter goes. Skip forward to Acts chapter 15. 
Now what's, what's happening in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 15. The council at Jerusalem, what's the, what's the problem? What are they trying to solve? S- yeah, setting rules for the Gentiles to follow or de- deciding what level of rules the Gentiles have to follow. What did you say, Manna? Yeah, the conflict over circumcision. Yeah. Right. So there's this question about whether the how how Jewish did the Gentiles have to become in order to be followers of Jesus? Right. So this how much of the old law which by the way in their mind wouldn't have been thought of as the old law. It would have just been thought of as the law. Right? Out of which Christ flowed and made perfect sense because he fulfilled all of that stuff. He wasn't he wasn't a second shot at doing it for God. Everything about Jesus made sense from the, from the perspective of the flow of the law. Right? So you have the Jewish Christians saying, look, Jesus is the son of man and he's the suffering servant. He's the fulfillment of the covenant with Abraham, with David, with Moses, all of these things in Jesus. So it's just the law. Okay. So what does Peter say around verse 7? Okay, Miles. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Paul, uh, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice of them, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we bear? But we believe that we are saved. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, the same way as they also are. Okay, very good. Thank you. So, actually, you played that really well, Miles, because you. You said two names when you started, and you corrected yourself. Who said all of that? Peter Peter did. Isn't that interesting? It was Peter who was the one who stood up for the Gentiles, not having to obey all of the law. And there's a long debate about whether what happens in Galatians chapter 2 is before this event in Acts, or after this event in Acts, or if this, this council in Acts is what it's referring to. Um, I'm not going to solve that problem for you this morning. But it's interesting that in one case, Peter is the one who's defending uh, the Gentiles that they don't need to take on all of the old Jewish law. And in this, in Galatians, Peter's the one who kind of capitulated. He's back there in the courtyard um, changing sides again, and Paul blasts him. Come back with me to the original qu- question. Because what was going on in Galatia was the same thing that I sang about at the beginning, right? Um, anything goes. The world has gone mad today, good's bad today. And the Galatians, the general population was struggling with this libertinism, with this license to do whatever they felt like doing, and their ethics had gone out the window. And it was present in the church as well. This envoy comes from Jerusalem and they're not legalists. 
This is probably a group of people who were what we were talking about a minute ago, kind of gnomists, out of gratitude for what God had done to them, what they recognized in Christ, they were going to now more fully obey the law. Okay, not a bad thing. But what happened was, when you take your gratitude for God and your rule-keeping out of gratitude and try to impose it on somebody else, then it becomes legalism for them. And that's what was happening. Maybe even Peter's reaction was similar to Paul's reaction in other places, right? Remember, Paul says, don't eat, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols if it's going to cause your brother to stumble. If they think that's an act of worship and they can't get away from that, then just don't, right? So Peter's doing something similar. Here, the Jewish Christians show up from um, Judea, and Peter says, well, it's bothering them for us to eat together, so I'm you know, I'm going to just eat with you. And maybe to try to make peace originally. But what resulted was this split. And they weren't just refraining from table fellowship. They were starting to impose their laws on the Gentile Christians. And Paul takes issue with it. So let me read the end of this chapter. This is Galatians 2, starting from verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners... We know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We have come to believe in in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ or some translations have by the faith of Christ, the faithfulness of Christ, not by doing the works of the law because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, Then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to the problem of sin, the Judaizers' solution was more law. And Paul sings that song that we know. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the rest of the verse. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? Or he might have sung, I want to know Christ and the power of his rising, share in his suffering, conform to his death. If I pour out my life to be filled with his spirit, joy follows suffering and life follows death. The first half of that verse is also a direct quote from Paul in Philippians. His answer to the problem of sin is not more law, it's the cross. So the last verse in the chapter, I do not nullify the grace of God for it is just for if justification comes through the law then Christ died for nothing. He could have said if justification if being made right before God comes through anything besides the cross, then this thing was not the most loving act in all of history. It was the most heinous and cruel act in all of history. 
If God had another way of showing his love that was just as good as this, then he was sadistic in torturing his son on a cross. Paul says, there is nothing you can add to the cross to make it more. The solution to the problem of sin, if you want to be freed from sin, the consequences and the power of it, is not more laws, it's not more rules, it's not trying harder. It's dying to yourself. It's being freed from yourself. And it's what? It's Christ in us. It is Christ who lives in me. That, by the way, is a phrase that Paul uses all throughout his writings interchangeably with the spirit in me. The solution to sin isn't to give in and just sin more. The solution to sin isn't to try harder with more rules. The solution to sin is to let Christ in us through the cross. And the cross doesn't set us free from the consequences Uh, it doesn't set us free from suffering. It empowers us to suffer like Jesus, to become like him. That's the part that we just sang. One last song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, I pray for uh, all of us who have, like Peter, like Paul, our feet in two different worlds. Uh, one, one world in which is filled with like-minded people who know your word and scripture and who have bound themselves to live according to your laws, even if they're your new laws, even if they're the laws that we understand um, fulfilled and made complete in Christ. Um, we still have a moral direction. And yet we live by your calling in the world around us too. Uh, And we need your help to navigate that tension. Um, We live in a society that says, anything's okay. Um, If it feels good, do it. Uh, There is no truth except uh, the truth according to you, according to each of us. Um, and we're so busy we can barely breathe, and we have replaced recreation with distraction. We've replaced redemption with all sorts of self-medication, and we need to be set free from that, from ourselves, um, from our slavery to sin, but we also need to be set free, God, from the fear of guilt and the desire to somehow earn your favor. So at the foot of the cross, God... Help us to open our hearts to your spirit, to yourself in us, um, to be empowered like your son, to take up the path of the cross, to pour ourselves out, uh, not because um, 
somehow that will earn us any favor or merit or because we feel guilty in doing it, but because we are overflowing with your presence uh, and gratitude uh, of who you are in us. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.